particularly this letter of Peter, we recognize that it was written in a time of persecution to persecuted believers. And that persecution has not stopped in 2,000 years and in fact is on the increase in our day. We thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy just coming out tonight into this place, this building, to worship you. And we pray just tonight for all our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, in whatever place they are, that you would strengthen every heart, every mind, every spirit, that they would know your love and your grace, your strength, and the hope that they have in you. I pray that they would be aware that they are part of a huge family that stretches across this world, one body. And when one part suffers, it all suffers. So we pray that in all the struggles of your people, that you would make yourself known. We thank you, Lord, that even in the hardest places, people are encountering you, whether it be in dreams and visions, whether it be through the witness of courageous believers, whether it be the word smuggled into that country, your Bible put in hands, written in their own languages. We pray that your kingdom will come. So we ask, Lord, tonight for our family, all our brothers and sisters, that you would be with them, strengthen them, and use them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to follow the reading, uh, it will appear on the screen as well. So it's 1 Peter 3, and we're picking up uh, in verse 13. So 1 Peter 3. And reading from verse 13. And reading it with that kind of um, video in mind as well. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. And if you've got your Bible with you, you'll just see an alternative uh, translation of that is do not fear what they fear. So it's either do not fear their threats or do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. 
After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when Noah waited patiently in the days of when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Christ Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers, all in submission to him. If you have your Bible with you, just you can keep it open. I don't know if you know uh, what the superstore Ikea is famous for. Uh, Edward, I knew you would be here because I said, apart from meatballs, in my script. (laughs) Flat-packed furniture. Thank you very much. Furniture that comes in a box with a set of instructions written in Swedish and sometimes English, and with funny little keys and bolts and nuts and things like that. Now, I know as I look around the congregation tonight, some are very gifted at DIY and all things handy person-ish. I am not. And I am completely flummoxed at times when I receive a box and am told by the instructions of how to build this furniture. If there's, I always love it, if there's a quick and easy assembly, and then there's the detailed one, I always go for the quick and easy assembly. But the classic dilemma that I find myself is when putting together something complicated out of many parts is that occasionally I will finish the whole thing and be quite proud of myself. And then realize that there are still some parts in the box. Obscure parts, but parts nonetheless that are supposed to be part of that assembly. My morale sinks. I ask questions. Where are they supposed to go? What do they do? How important are they? Why didn't I notice them before? What am I going to do with them? I had a similar reaction when I read this passage. There are some things that seem quite clear and obvious to me in this passage. And there are other things that seem quite obscure. And we might want to ask the question, what are they there for? Are they really important? So the bigger picture The diagram on the box. Peter has been writing to believers who are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. If you want to know where those places are, it's modern-day Turkey. And he is encouraging them of how to live as followers of Jesus in a new landscape. New landscape because they've come to Christ out of a very different background. New landscape, because they find themselves facing, in their newfound faith, people who are opposing them. 
How to stand strong in the storm as followers of Jesus. Peter also acknowledges that suffering will be part of the journey. It reminds me of the story of Brother Andrew who founded Open Doors. Some years ago, he was asked to lead a conference in Syria. This was pre-war. And he went to the conference and he shared with the leading pastors um, what his theme was. And he wanted to speak on preparing for persecution. That's what he felt he should speak about. And the leaders came to him and they said, well, are you really sure? Because that's not our experience. Syria in those days was prosperous. The church was safe. Wasn't growing particularly fast, but they were not facing persecution. But Brother Andrew said, I I feel that this is what God's put on my heart. So they went ahead with the conference. Within a few years, the uprising broke out. War came upon Syria. The nations of the world got involved. There was chaos. Out of the chaos rose Islamic State. And the church came under severe pressure. And persecution. Yet in the midst of it all. And if you were here a few weeks ago in our morning service. We had the enormous privilege of having Pastor Abdallah come. From Aleppo. And share his story with us. In the midst of it all God was at work. I had the privilege of going to Lebanon some years ago and going onto the Syrian border and meeting leaders of churches down there. And um, we, when it was known that we were there, queues of people began to form to come and meet us and share their stories of how they'd come from Islam to faith in Christ Jesus. Some completely covered in, in the hijab and everything, but once they got into the church building, they took them off and told about their faith in Jesus Christ. One guy, he he had nothing uh, with his family to eat. They'd been living on grass for weeks. And he was a qualified dentist. He had a practice in his hometown in Syria and and he had lost everything. But he and his family had, had come across the border and they'd found Christ. And he said the most amazing words of, if this is what it took to find Jesus, then I thank God for it. So Peter writes to the believers, warning them that persecution may be inflicted upon them. He encourages them to to live good lives, be good citizens. But he also warns that even if they do that, they may encounter persecution, opposition, particularly from the authorities. Even Christians who have done nothing wrong will encounter this. 
And he points out to them again that this innocent suffering puts us right in the footsteps of Jesus, who is the victim of the most of the worst injustice of all. Jesus suffered for the sins of the world. He was righteous, yet he gave up his life for the unrighteous. We were all bound in chains, and he has come to set us free. And also, suffering and persecution, writes Peter throughout this letter, is an opportunity to meet evil with good. It's not easy, though. I, I, I pray for the persecuted church every day. And, and this last week, we've been focusing on Nigeria and, and the insurgency of Boko Haram just coming into a Christian village. They will round up the women. They will round up the men. They will kill the men. They will rape the women. And part of my mind wants to say, why don't they get some arms themselves? Overcome evil with good. You don't overcome evil with evil. Meet cursing with blessing. It's hard, isn't it? But that's how it's overcome. And suffering is not the opposite of blessing. Occasionally, you'll hear that even within the Christian kind of world, that if you suffer, it's somehow that you're not experiencing God's blessing. That's not what you read in the Bible. Jesus told his followers, in in fact, he said uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, you are blessed. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely accuse you of all manner of things. Speak evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. It's so countercultural, so even counterintuitive. And Peter even says in this passage, You are blessed if you suffer for Christ. And then Peter quotes from Isaiah, and it's that phrase that we read, do not fear what they fear, or do not fear their threats. I like the translation, do not fear what they fear. Peter knew what it was to be a man who was afraid. I've known what it is to be afraid. It can be paralyzing. To be really afraid. Peter knew what it was like to fear men. When, remember when he denied even knowing Jesus. He'd, he'd been with Jesus three years. He was his kind of right hand man. And when it came to the crunch of it. When Jesus was arrested. Yes he did follow. But when he was sort of called on. Whether he was a follower of Jesus. No I, I, I don't even know who he is. Fear. And then this same Peter, after the resurrection of Jesus and him being filled with the Holy Spirit, we see him in the Acts of the Apostles standing in front of thousands of people in Jerusalem and declaring who Jesus is. 
We see him standing before the authorities of the Sanhedrin, all the Jewish authorities who threaten him. And he says, no, I cannot stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Where has the fear gone? Fear seeks to take possession of our hearts and our minds. But when we are in Christ, he encourages us not to fear. It doesn't say you will never fear. And he goes on to explain in this passage why we can stand strong in Christ Jesus. What is the ultimate weapon of the enemy? It's fear of death that he inflicts. And that fear has been destroyed. Peter says that as we revere Christ Jesus as Lord, as Jesus is Lord becomes our confession we begin to understand what Jesus meant when he asked, well, what can man do to you? Jesus has announced his victory over all things, over all powers, all authorities, all rulers, earthly, heavenly, physical, spiritual. And the fear of death has been removed from the Christian. Not how we die. That can be fearful. The means of that. But our ultimate destination is assured in Christ Jesus. And our response, says Peter, will be a witness to Christ. The response of persecuted church around the world is an incredible witness to Christ Jesus. And we defend our faith by proclaiming the gospel, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. He says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus. What's your reason? What's the reason for your hope in Jesus Christ? And he says, do it with all gentleness and respect. He is aware, Peter is aware, that the human authorities embody spiritual forces that stand beside them and behind them in the unseen realm. But Jesus has triumphed over them all through his suffering and his resurrection. And all those opposed to Jesus, opposed to the authority of God, are on notice and their time is short. And he sums that sort of big message up in the last verse. As all these things, all powers, all rulers, all principalities, all are in submission to Jesus. Okay? Now to the pieces that don't seem to fit in, left in the box. And it focuses around verses 19, 20, and 21. I don't know if you noticed it when we read it. If you've ever read this passage when you've read through the Bible and thought, 
wonder what that means. You are not alone. Peter writes, after being made alive in the spirit, he, Jesus, went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the times of Noah while the ark was being built. In total, he goes on, eight were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism, which saves you also. Now, I spent quite a lot of time this week reading books called commentaries about this passage. And some just glossed over those verses very quickly with hardly anything to say. Quoting Martin Luther, who wrote, This passage is perhaps the most obscure of any other in the New Testament. As a result, I don't know for certain what Peter means. And if Martin Luther said that, then every one of us can say, well, (laughs) others went into so much detail that I could not make head or tail of what they were saying. But, as I whittled it down, there were kind of three basic views. Wary of definitive views to this verse, this obscure verse that's left in the box after you've put the big picture together of Jesus preaching to the imprisoned spirits. The three main views. That Jesus descended into hell while his body was in the tomb, or maybe later during the resurrection appearances, in order to preach the gospel to imprisoned spirits, whether they be imprisoned spirits of lost souls or imprisoned spirits of the demonic. Some even reached further than Scripture would actually allow by saying that that actually means that Jesus gives a second chance to people to hear the gospel. That is nowhere found in the rest of Scripture. And was it just to the imprisoned spirits that were there in the days of Noah? The second kind of most general view took an alternative reading of verse 19. That the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, the spirit of Jesus, is the spirit through whom Noah preached to his generation. And that through the Holy Spirit, Noah preached the gospel. Of that through God's grace, you could be saved in the ark. And that those who refuse to believe the disobedient were lost. And only eight were saved. The third view, held by probably the majority of scholars I read, was that what this passage means is that Jesus proclaims his victory over sin and death 
whether in that time when he was raised by the Spirit in the tomb, that Jesus goes and declares his victory to all the demonic powers, to Satan himself, to the imprisoned spirits, and says, I am the Lord. That at the moment when Jesus died, all the demonic spirits, Satan himself, were rejoicing because they had the victory over Jesus. He was dead. But Jesus declares himself victorious. The grave can't hold him. Satan has yet again overreached himself. There is, just uh, if you read 2 Peter, in chapter 2, he writes, God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, kept them in chains, in darkness, held for judgment. 2 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. So, I'll leave those three options for you to ponder and grapple with. I guess if I had to choose one, I'd be with the third one. Jesus proclaims his victory over sin and death and hell and the principalities and the powers. And also the other piece, again, You may have glossed over it when you read it. Does Peter suggest here that baptism saves us? Did you hear that as we read it? And this water symbolizes baptism. He's talking about Noah and the flood again. Baptism that now saves you also. Maybe this is one of the passages that provoked infant baptism in the early church, that if you were not baptized, you were not saved. But if you go on to hear Peter's explanation, he is not saying that baptism saves us. What it means saves us. Who it's about saves us. It's about Jesus. Jesus saves us through his death and through the resurrection and by our faith in him that we declare in baptism. That's how we are saved. This new life in Christ Jesus. Baptism is a confession of good conscience toward God. Baptism is an act of obedience and an act of faith. And it declares the victory of Jesus, and you embody it in death and resurrection. Being buried and raised to life again. Whether Peter's also, because the uh, Noah's Ark story would have been very kind of regarded as a local story in those parts because they believed that the Ark would have landed on one of the mountains there in this area. And the water that destroyed, in the sense of the flood, was also the water that bore up the ark. And Peter uses it as a picture of baptism. He is not saying 
Baptism saves you. Jesus saves you. Baptism is that declaration of your faith in Jesus Christ. And so we've looked at the big picture and we've, we've looked at the pieces. We didn't know where they went. And now we return to the big picture. What believers need to know when facing trials, persecution, suffering... is that God's grace and the victory Christ has won is ours. We've sung about it tonight in the very first song. Just that idea that Jesus fights for us. He did. He fought for us. He rescued us. He set us free. This Jesus, who we worship tonight, is the Lord of all. He has triumphed. He has defeated all his enemies, all the powers, all the principalities, all rulers, all authorities, human, spiritual. When they've done their worst, he triumphed. And he will lead us in the resurrection parade. And even if it may not look like that right now, in your circumstance, or in the circumstance of our brothers and sisters in North Korea or Afghanistan or Somalia. It is still the truth. It is the truth. And therefore, Christ's victory is our victory too. And as we conclude... We look forward to that day that is coming soon when Jesus' victory will be seen for what it truly is. And all evil will be finally dealt with. And every wrong will be righted. And every injustice will be dealt with. And every eye will see him. And every knee will bow before him. And every tongue will have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he will bring a new heaven and a new earth and there will be judgment. But Peter writes these words as an encouragement to all those believers who are learning to live in their landscape, in their circumstances, to take heart. Jesus has triumphed over all. Amen. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask Tim and the band to come back.